Hello and welcome to A New and Ancient Story. This is a podcast, a series of conversations, interviews, and occasionally speeches dedicated to the transformation of self and society. The basic idea is that we are moving from a story of separation to a new story, new for the dominant culture at least, of interbeing. What that means will become apparent as you listen to this series. We explore things like technology, spirituality, agriculture, healing, economics, politics, ecology, relationships, education. I mean, pretty much everything that is undergoing a transition today as our old story nears collapse. If you want to engage these ideas more deeply, you can come to our website, charleseisenstein.net. Charles Eisenstein here again with my friend Robin McKenna, a filmmaker and gift culture activist. Um, is there anything else that people should know about you? Um, I don't think so. I think that's, that's okay. nice. Yeah. And yeah, and what precipitated this conversation was that earlier this year I ran a course called Living in the Gift, and at the same time, Robin was putting the final touches on her film on gift what what is the name of the film exactly it's called gift just gift yes and i was actually aware of the film for a few years and yeah we're just kind of in the same orbit both of us fans of lewis hyde whose book the classic book the gift is being released in a new edition or is it a new version of it do you, do you know anything about that robin uh it's a new edition yeah that's being mm-hmm. published very soon like now that's exciting um why did you make a film on gift? Well, the film is really inspired by that book that I picked up one day um, and I didn't know. And it kind of tied together a lot of threads of things that are kind of like the most important things to me in a way that I had never thought about before in a way I'd never looked at before. And I was like, you know, I love... a kind of approach that's like poetic and metaphorical and what Lewis Hyde does in that book is like you know there's stories and fairy tales and talking about cultures of the gift and then about halfway through you realize that the whole thing is a metaphor for this idea of the inner gift the creative gift and I was like wow you know when I got to that point and I was like the whole thing is actually a metaphor for something interior and kind of about the soul Mm -hmm. Um, I love the idea of trying to reflect that in a film and bring it into this moment in time that we're living in like the book is from almost 40 years ago now Mm -hmm. so it was before the internet existed and you know it's we live in a whole other crazy century now so I started like looking up gift economy on the internet and just looking up like you know people writing about hacker culture as a gift economy and Mm -hmm. now there's burning man and all these kind of current examples that were kind of out there in the zeitgeist and realizing that it felt like you know at first I was like oh I have this crazy romantic idea and I don't know like who would understand this and then I realized that there was something kind of out there in the zeitgeist around it and so it turned into this like five-year exploration and journey of like getting deep into these ideas and following characters and mm-hmm. yeah you're, you're saying that the book is the in the second half of the book especially it turns toward the inner dimensions of gift um, I've always been fascinated by how gift is such a bridge between inner and outer. 
Because when you're in a gift relationship with somebody, then they are invited into the circle of self. And on the most obvious level, like within families, people at least hopefully don't, you know, operate according to monetary exchange, like at least within a nuclear family. Although even in that context, money has encroached upon gift so that kids are maybe paid for their chores and and things like that. Mm, Yeah. But even when that happens, there's still a lot of gift. Families basically run on gift. And we also see our families as part of our core selves. It's not somebody else. In fact, in Chinese, the word, one of the words for family is literally self people. Yeah. Self people. So, so anyway, I, I just think that, well, and it's also a truism, at least for me, that community is built from gift. And because there's such a void of community for so many people in modern society, I think that gift culture or gift economy is really coming up right now. Um, and as far as the inner dimension goes, also the question, why am I here? What's life for? Like, and I know both of us like understand this intellectually, you know, going way back, but in making this film, did that land on you in any dramatic way? Like what opened up for you? Well, yeah, I mean, I I think I talked about the more outer reasons, but I think, you know, on an inner level, I think my reason was like, I had that real kind of longing and yearning to make something that was more meaningful to me. Like I had been directing work in like documentary stuff for TV and more like being a kind of director for hire and just feeling like it wasn't something that came from my heart. And I wanted to do something that kind of felt like it mattered, you know, Mm -hmm. um, And then, you know, spending five years making this film. I mean, I know when I met you, I was just starting and it was like, I didn't really have the money, but I was like determined that I was going to do it. And I was like trying to go out and follow these stories and couldn't even really afford to pay my rent, you know? And it was like this crazy kind of quixotic thing. of just like keep trusting to keep following this thing, even though materially it was so crazy. And really finding myself so woven into the fabric of gifts of friends and people I met along the way Mm -hmm. and allies who came into it. But, you know, people like lending me their house for a while while they were away or lending me camera equipment and just helping make it possible, you know? So there was Mm -hmm. like a whole circle of gifts that went into that five Mm -hmm. year crazy process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's not only that the film is about gift, it's also an enactment of gift. Totally. So you experienced gift in making this film and in a way you're offering it. I don't know. I hope that it's commercially successful or at least, you know, that it's well received and stuff, but I'm sure that your initial motivation wasn't, this is going to be the topic that's going to make bank. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> of course, it's going to be a blockbuster. <laughs> yeah. So you're offering it as a gift and how has the gift been received? Um, I mean, it's, it's taken its own, you know, it's unfolded at its own pace. And I think there's certain, you know, hopes or expectations that I had for it. Like, you know, there's the whole film festival world, which is very competitive. And, you know, it's a very kind of like artfully crafted film. And I thought it would kind of work well in that world. And then for some reason, you know, that didn't happen on a big scale. 
And so that was kind of a heartbreak, but it's like, it's kind of been, it's sparked things for people in different communities and different places who have like self-organized to bring it. And, mm. you know, it seems like when I do have a chance to bring it to people, which I've done a fair amount now, it's like, it really resonates with people. And so, I mean, that's the thing that yeah. gives me faith to keep, you know, keep going with it and keep doing this kind of work. Like mm -hmm. it's hard not to kind of doubt yourself and, you know, in that yeah. competitive world of whatever. Right. Which is not very much a gift world. You know, it's about how much yeah. can I get for exactly. my film myself. It's very, very competitive. Um, I don't know. I mean, there actually is a competitive aspect to gift. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, that. In, in like potlatch um, and pretty much actually you can trace it into other gift societies too. The, uh, Gift, uh, gift as an act of dominance. Uh, do you go a lot into that kind of um, historical and philosophical stuff? I mean, I have seen the films. This is something of a rhetorical question. <laughs> um, I mean, the film, like I, I use the book as kind of an anchoring point for the film. And there's this idea of the transformative gift and art as a transformative gift. So it's not as much on the kind of more complicated aspects or negative aspects of it, but um, you know, I also wanted to follow real life stories of real people in the world. And that entails the limitations of people and cultures and, mm -hmm. you know, dealing with not just an idea, but a real thing, but not so much. I mean, the most historical, like, I guess the potlatch story is the most kind of ancient example, but because it's an observational film following people in real time, um, that's, you know, it's limited to the kind of present moment that way. Yeah, I, I remember the, uh, some of the potlatch parts of the film. Like, the film is very, it's very realistic. You don't really try to dramatize or embellish. You know, you don't try to make it into a more dramatic thing than it really is. So there's, in, in all of the parts of the film, all the storylines, there's this um, very down-to-earth, matter-of-factness that I think is a salutary antidote to the way that we might romanticize or idealize gift. Um, like what, for example, are you thinking of? Just like the nitty-gritty of organizing the potlatch, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, there he is, you know, in that, in, that, in that room. I mean, it's not like <laughs> some pure angelic thing, you know? It's just like, so, it's like here's human beings, here's society. Um, should I talk a bit, a bit about like what a potlatch is and what that story? Oh was? yeah, I guess. I mean, I think most people have like some vague idea of it, but yeah, why don't you go into that a little bit? So the potlatch in the Pacific Northwest of Canada and the U.S., like all the way from Alaska down to Washington, is an indigenous practice of kind of a feast of giving, giving away all your possessions um, traditionally, and goes on for a day and a night and sometimes several days and with like masks and dancing and rituals and all different kinds of gifts being given. Um, and there's an element of kind of the more you give, the more status you have and people are kind of witnessing your gift and remembering it and telling the story over time. And I'm following the story of a young artist and carver who's 30 years old and he's spending four years saving up everything he has to give it away at the potlatch to kind of take on his name as chief in, in the society where he lives. So it's kind of amazing because he's in, um, 
Alert Bay, which is north of Vancouver Island um, on Canada's west coast. And he lives in the same country I live in, you know, but it's like a whole system of values that's so radically different than the mainstream and still so strong, you know, it's like, this is how people judge things. It's like, hoarding your wealth is frowned on, you know, like having a big truck or a big house. It's like, oh, obviously that person doesn't understand. Like they're not leaving a name for their kids. You know? mm. Imagine what this world would look like if all of the uber wealthy people decided to just give it all away. Yeah. You know, how often does that happen in philanthropy? You know, it's like they give maybe 5% away, 10% away. Maybe um, I think, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett pledged to give 50% away or something like that. But sometimes I do come across stories of, of like uber wealthy people who give it all away. Like billionaires, they don't even keep a million dollars, but they give it, give everything away. But that's really rare. Uh, but the and idea then it's interesting because I've met a few people like that now and I'm sure you have too. And it's like the art of actually giving it away well, is like, it's a hard right. thing to do, you know? <laughs> Yeah, because we don't have a cultural form like the potlatch. So there, there's yeah. no um, prescribed rituals or forms or expectations. It's really awkward. There's just no structures to do that, uh, except for totally. philanthropy. But that is can be very limiting. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm following him on his process of getting ready for the potlatch. And everyone in the film is kind of on a journey of gift, preparing for something, working towards something. And I mean, that's something in, in Lewis Hyde's book, he talks about that idea of the labor of gratitude and how we labor in service of our gifts, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, our culture is all about the like, oh, you come out with your book and you get all this attention and you get to talk about it. And, but it's like all the work that goes in behind the scenes and all the years of laboring and doubting and hating yeah. yourself, you know? <laughs> I'm well familiar with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just like, I don't know if you went through this moment, but pretty much for the last three books, maybe all of them, I don't even remember, but there's this phase, uh, usually after I've finished the manuscript, turned it in, it's going through some revisions and stuff, there's a phase where I'm absolutely convinced that this is just shit, that this is just a sophomoric, amateur, self-indulgent, uh, redundant, derivative, like this... <laughs> Like, it's just like this total, I just wasted two and a half years on some exercise of vanity. Like, and, and even though on some level, I know that it's just a phase, during that phase, it seems so real. Yeah. That it's just- I mean, isn't it a weird, it's weird because you have to trust yourself and your instincts to keep trusting that process when no other people might not really understand what you're trying to do, but then you have to not trust those moments. <laughs> No. You know, I, I think for me, it's even, I don't even think I have the uh, inner resources to stick to that trust on my own. What happens is that somebody comes and rescues me, so to speak, like somebody who's, you know, been reading the manuscript or whatever, uh, or has read some part of it, or I say something from the book and they respond really well uh, and they affirm what that other part of me who actually is doing this is as in a labor of gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. So I get, so in fact, my own fortitude is a gift. It's not even mine. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's other people holding me in, in belief. 
in what I'm doing. I mean, sometimes I can hold it, you know, but at key moments I've been rescued by the community that supports people like us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of like synchronicity too, right? It's that like mm. the thing of like being tapped into yourself and your path and being able to read the signs that come to you, but it's a conversation between you and the world. And it's like, you do have to find that center in yourself, but it's like, you also have to have those signs that tell you that you're not just totally, yeah. you know. Right. And those synchronicities are kind of a gift too. Totally. Almost by definition, a synchronicity is not something that you force to happen. It just happens. And it, when I experience one, I, I have the same feeling of awestruck gratitude as when I've received something really generous. Yeah. Did you have anything like that uh, coalesce around making the film? Um, well, uh, I reached out to Lewis Hyde pretty early in the process and he was supportive right away. He said, I'd be delighted to see that happen. Um, and then I kind of started with the potlatch story and the Burning Man story. And then, you know, I knew that this idea of art and creativity were going to be at the center of the film and all the stories, but it was like, who's going to be the kind of artist character? I mean, it could be really any writer or artist playing that role. But I was like, I think there's this guy who's kind of influenced by like Zen practices and rituals who I read about in Utney Reader like 20 years ago. I had read about Li Ming Wei, this artist. And I like, I loved what I read about his work so much that I like went to the library and photocopied that page from the Utney Reader and I had kept it. Um, and a lot of his work was around gifting and I, I hadn't heard anything about him for like, you know, a decade and I looked him up and I found him and he's like all working, you know, so many of his works are around the gift now, which at the time I just remembered that there was kind of a Zen element of like blurring the boundaries between art and life. Mm -hmm. And so I like with the magic of Google, I Googled him and Lewis Hyde. And it turned out that Mingwei has done a lot of work in Boston where Lewis lives. And Lewis wrote the introduction to the catalog of Mingwei's show when he was in Boston. And they know each other. And Mingwei's been totally influenced by the book and carries it with him wherever he goes. Wow. So it was like, so Lewis ended up connecting me with Mingwei, the artist. And it was like, it seemed so synchronous that it was it kind of had to happen that way. I'm looking at my bookshelf now and there it is, The Gift. Lewis Hyde, really deep, deep work. The, his treatment of the uh, fairy tale of the elves and the shoemaker is yeah. just masterful. I don't know if he's dissected other fairy tales like, like, like that, but it, it's, I mean, pretty much every sentence of that is just dripping with significance, with mythological significance. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like every page of the book is like that. Yeah. So when did that come into your process? Do you remember when you first read it? And I mean, I read it when I was gathering material for sacred economics. And do you remember like what kind of landed for you or what resonated for you? Um, it really helped me conceive sacred economics as a recovery of the spirit of gift in economics. Like I had had many ideas about on one level about economic policy and monetary theory and stuff like that. And then also like the deeper storyline of separation and reunion, interbeing. But it was the concept of gift that I really tapped into from that book that cemented all of these things together. Yeah. Uh, as, as I was saying before, as a, as a bridge, the bridge between the individual and the group, 
the, the animating principle of an economics of interbeing. And then, you know, as I worked with it, then it began to expand beyond economics as well. Yeah. That's kind of, you know, when you say like what changed for me in the process, I think when I started, I was really, you know, because I wanted to make an observational film and not a film with talking heads. I remember yeah. when I met you, you were excited that I was like, there's going to be no experts or talking heads in my film. Yeah. Um, but, you know, then it has to be about things you can see. So then in my research, it was like, you know, looking into this idea of gift economies in real life or gift cultures. And, you know, I'm interested in systems. So it's like going into a place of like, what does it feel like to be in a gift culture like the pilot? latch and give people the experience of being inside that you know mm -hmm. but then I think at one point I realized that because I was kind of looking for the visible I had lost a little bit that like the soul level of like the invisible part of the gift you know like the magical gift like the creative gift that wants to pass through us and I realized that that had to be like that was the thing that really had touched me the most, you know, and it would be hard to bring that into an observational documentary, but I had to try to figure out a way to do that. Mm -hmm. So there's the potlatch story. There's Ming Wei, is that his name? Yeah, Li Ming Wei. Li Ming Wei. Uh -huh. then, and then there's the um, people is it in Turkey, is that where it is? No, in Rome. In Rome. Yeah, it's an right. illegally occupied factory in Rome, which right. is occupied by 200 migrants and precarious workers and protected by a barricade of art. Yes. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, can you say a little bit about that? So the, and the place is called Metropolis. It's in a industrial, the industrial outskirts of Rome. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's the most political of the stories in the film because it's, you know, like it's in the midst of this whole kind of migrant crisis in Italy and housing crisis. Um, and these people have, you know, there's a there's nowhere for people to live. So they're occupying these buildings that have been left empty. And there's a lot of empty buildings in Rome that are being occupied by nobody. So they moved in. It's been 10 years this year that they've been there. And this uh, kind of quixotic city planner had the idea to um, create this, they call it the world's first inhabited museum. Mm -hmm. So create this kind of museum of street art and, you know, some very famous artists, some smaller local artists, but covering the walls with art. And they say we, we play the value of the art market off the value of the real estate market. So they've created value, adding value to the walls. That's how they're protecting this place from, you know, people being thrown out and the place being torn down because now it's become this special kind of famous place where they, they hold events and a lot of people know about it now. So it's like, it's a beautiful act of kind of community gifting. And it's like, it's about the solidarity and the community that's built between the people who live in the place. And then there's also the relationship with the artists who come. And a lot of the people who live there are Roma. So there's families living there. It's not just activists. And that's part mm -hmm. of what's interesting about it. So there's all these kids, these little Roma kids who are running around and interacting with the artists. And part of what the film does is follow these two little girls and kind of how, how they seeing it through their eyes, like having these artists around living in this strange place, which is, it's a former salami factory. So there's also something very kind of dark and edgy about it, but you know, something weirdly kind of cracked and beautiful at the same time. 
does the building still have a owner a private owner or is it yeah it's owned by like the biggest developer in italy uh -huh. who's been putting a lot of pressure on the government to get it back and it's looking actually pretty dire for the people right now it's looking pretty likely that the Italy's government is kind of crazy right now, but mm -hmm. it's become more right-wing since we filmed there and more anti-migrant and anti-squatters. So. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's some way to infect the developer with the spirit of gift. Um. Yeah, maybe we can. I'm, I'm, I haven't showed the film yet in Rome. I'm going in December. Maybe we can invite the developer to the screening. That'd be interesting. We could have a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking like one thing that really motivates gift is gratitude. You know, we think usually that gifts create gratitude, but it's also the other way around that gratitude invites gifts. Totally. So, you know, if, if you came to the developer without an oppositional, we're going to fight you to keep this building, but more of thank you for making this building available for restraining yourself. <laughs> there must be some part of them that is, um, maybe I'd look at the world through rose-colored glasses, but I'd like to look for the part of a person that truly wants to be in gift, knowing that that exists in everybody, because this is like part of the whole thing that for me, you know, that we're born into gratitude because our entire lives are actually a gift. So that spirit of gratitude exists and the desire to give forth from the gratitude is present in every human being. If we look for it, we can see it. So, mm -hmm. and if we, and if we see it, we can speak to it. And if we can speak to it, we can invite it into expression. So I wonder if there's a way to, to do that. Um, this developer is Cellini. His daughter is actually an artist and she's one of the artists who contributed work on the walls. Uh -huh. She's done portraits of the inhabitants that are like these beautiful kind of sketches that you see on the wall and in a couple of scenes in the film. So, I mean, he's, there's definitely in the family, I'm sure that conversation is going on, but. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And so the other storyline was Burning Man. Uh, there's, that's right. That's the fourth one. Yeah. Right. People have opinions all over the map about Burning Man. I mean, it's kind of a cliche. Burning Man is, is, is a gift culture. And then there's people who say, not really. It's built on the back of an extractive economy and you still have to pay to get in. Some people think that it's this artificial and therefore not authentic bubble of gift economy. In have my experience, there? yeah, I have. And in my experience, it isn't just that. People are stepping into a different reality there. I'm curious what you think about that. Maybe, do you want to talk about it a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting. It can be very polarizing. I find there's a very like East Coast versus West Coast thing in the US. I just did some screenings in Massachusetts and I had a great conversation in Amherst um, after the film with people. But a few of the people were like, why like why did you put Burning Man in the film like there's so many interesting gift economies out there and mm -hmm. um I think you know for this film because of the idea of art and creativity you know so it's not just for the gift economy aspect of it but for the quality of imagination that people bring there's something really amazing you know um and I mean I I totally 
I think that there's many paradoxical contradictions there, but that idea of like a pirate utopia, you know, or a temporary autonomous zone where we have a chance to like, just have a taste of something, you know, like just a taste of what it could feel like to interact in a different way. I think that's a really beautiful, even if it's only for a week, even if it's not a sustainable thing, you know, even mm -hmm. if it's ephemeral, like in some ways that's the beauty of it, you know, yeah. but the, like the resourcefulness that goes into it and the dedication and, you know, the woman that I follow is like, she's a young social worker in San Francisco who's spending all her time and energy when she's not working, building this honeybee art car to give away honey and mead to people and it's not like the most amazing project at Burning Man it's not the most incredible art you know but I like that you know she's not a professional artist she's just like a person who really wants to share this gift to create a connection with people and she's kind of asking herself like she's like why am I you know she's like people keep asking me why would you spend so much time on energy on something mm -hmm. that's only going to be used for a week you know yeah. but I mean for me, I see like her story resonates with me just in the creative process of anyone who's laboring for their gift, you know, but it's like, I see that it's also something that resonates in her life in San Francisco for the rest of the year that some of her closest friends and community were made there. And, you know, she's also somebody who's an activist who is involved in Occupy and, you know, there's much more to her than you see in the film just because there's mm -hmm. limited time and space, but it's not just like a kind of, hippie rainbow like yeah there's like a punk element to it there's kind of an edgy you know that kind of mad max thing and you have to kind of be like a builder and have the resourcefulness to make things work there mm -hmm. yeah my, my impression is that it is the whole event is a suggestion of a, of of what's possible exactly my feeling is that there are some there's some kind of spirit or some kind of operating agreement here that the world could run on a different very very different kind of world could run on it and like you're saying like people go into it I mean, the explosion of creativity there that obviously requires enormous amounts of time to build yeah. some art cars and some of these art installations you know some of them are even anonymous like they don't even necessarily get intangible payback for what they're doing yeah uh, but even if they're not anonymous, it's still this, it's, a, it's like a, a possible future in which we spend our surplus on beauty rather than destruction. Yeah, I mean, for me, it also reminds me of things I've seen like um, for Mardi Gras or for like Carnival right. in Brazil, you know, how people spend months creating these costumes and like sewing on every little bead. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's kind of crazy. Like, why do you mm -hmm. do it? But it's just because you want to make something amazing and just like, wow, people and feel what that's like, you know, and it's not yes. just for artists. It's like for, you know, anybody can create something original yeah. and I think what you said about a direction like Lewis Hyde was saying he said something about utopia it's like the north star like we're never going to get there you know but it kind of shows us the direction mm -hmm. um he also said at one point that you know people have talked to him about Burning Man as kind of like there's a theory of the carnival being mm -hmm. a place where we can kind of play out our shadow side and our our darker desires but that there's also an element that that's a way that society keeps those things under control by containing it into one place. Right. So that's I mean, also an interesting. Right. Way. We're not even necessarily the darker side, but the aspects of human nature 
like the unbridled expression of desire. Yeah, the wild, the wilder side, totally. Yeah, the wild, right. Yeah. And, and the idea being that we don't want the wild to take over, but if we don't give it some space, then that pent-up wild will erupt in a very dangerous way. Yeah. So um, it needs, yeah, it needs some expression. And, and I've just been noticing more and more how controlled this society is. Uh, I was at a uh, parent-teacher meeting, uh, back to school night or something. And, you know, one of the main topics was security. And, you know, why is it that, you know, you can just walk into the school? Like, why, you know, why don't you have, you know, security devices? And and the idea, the, the ideal almost being like this locked down facility where all movement is monitored and controlled and then we'll be safe and this mania to control everything that extends to more and more areas um, more and more of the unregulated parts of life are being colonized by the institutions of control leaving almost nothing left for the expression of wildness like even you know festivals have become these very, very controlled events. Yeah. And, and then I think that, that wildness, it, it just comes, it erupts either as riots, you know, uh, or more often internally as self-destruction. Like the animal yeah. chewing out its paw, you know, when it's caged. Uh, not to get out, but because it's that confined life force needs to be expressed somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that part of the, that's the beauty of Burning Man that there's like, you know, it's this space of nothingness, right? And the idea of the desert as this kind of like that space of emptiness where like, you know, it has a mythical quality of like the initiation, like the place we go to face ourselves. but you start with nothing. And it's like, instead of being a top down thing, that's like, it's not a, you know, I mean, there is a corporation, but it's created by the people right it's a completely grassroots creation that's made in a kind of pure way mm -hmm. and so there's nothing else like that i mean you're right most festivals are like corporations and they're designed and they create an experience for people and people come and have an experience mm -hmm. but yeah and maybe you know maybe it's going through a, a life cycle i think beings like this like i would i would understand burning man as a being that go, is going through a life cycle and maybe like a child in the beginning it is more wild and then maybe eventually it gets institutionalized, ossified even. I'm not saying that that's already happening, but sometimes I mm -hmm. like that's happening. And then, you know, and then it becomes something else. And yeah. that spirit of wildness then is incarnated in other things. Um, so that could Yeah, be and that. I think there's also like smaller local things that are kind of in that spirit that I've seen right. happening that maybe are that's becoming the real new expression of the thing you know mm -hmm. apparently the gift economy of burning man was partly inspired by the gift the book oh yeah mm -hmm. is there something that was maybe a theoretical belief that you had or an inspiration an idea you were inspired by at the beginning that through the five years has become something that you really know, like a belief that's sunk down into your body so that it becomes knowledge and not belief. 
what can you transmit to us that has been forged in you through making this film? Not to be too like grandiose about the question, but. (laughs) I think more than anything, it's, you know, what what we talked about, just that like trust of the thing that you're doing that's like being kind of a weirdo for a while and like you know just continuing to trust that thing that there's something that wants to come through you and and laboring towards that you know I just like I think there was a lot of doubt and kind of wondering what I was doing and and I guess you know just by starting to put it out there it's like things you know I think the film is made in it's kind of a contemplative film it's slow there's a lot of space in it Mm -hmm. and so it kind of gives people the space to reflect and you know what I hear reflected back from people is sometimes just so new and original and not even necessarily something I designed or created but it's like something is being transmitted to people and that'll take its own life you know Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of like given me faith in that to kind of like, that it, it's worth doing that labor, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It isn't a film that has like these super dramatic, like you could imagine making a film called Gift that is about heroic acts of sacrifice uh, and stirring acts of generosity you know, and that kind of thing. And as I was saying before, this film is a lot more mundane in a way a soft infiltration. But I think because of that, it reaches the viewer on a level that isn't like this emotional hit. You know, it's not like this addictive inspiration crack, you know. It's it's more of a soft infiltration of a spirit of gift. And I can say, like, I saw it, I don't know when, when you showed me the, uh, I don't know if it was a final cut or whatever, but I, I remember, you know, it was a while ago and I still feel the presence of the film inside of me. Like I can feel the spirit of it, uh, the tone. Um, Maybe almost because it isn't like high impact emotionality, it operates on a longer time span. Mm. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it that you did it that way and gave an example of slowness, something that is also sorely missing in our culture. Yeah. I think, you know, like I, when I first finished it and, you know, one of the first times I watched it, I was just like, it was so nerve wracking because I was like, oh my God, it's so slow. How can I do this? People are going to be bored. But then people say like, no, it's, you know, you've seen it so many times that you can't like feel the pace of it anymore. But, you know, the idea is really to give people that time to like absorb and reflect. And I think, you know, like you talk about these, this idea of the spaces between, right? The space between stories. And it's like, there's some mystery in that space, right? And it's like, it's part of it is the not knowing. Um, and I guess, yeah, I mean, it's like, what I would love is for it to give people space to tap into something in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I'll answer one more thing about yeah. what I... No, Mm -hmm. I think there's like the aspect of receiving that came up in the film, which is not something that's in the book. And, you know, in the process of filming, I mean, partly in my experience of having to make the film and giving and receiving the gifts in the process, but the, the people you see in the film, there's this whole piece of like, it's called Sonic Blossom and it's these opera singers who approach people in the art gallery and say, may I offer you a gift of song? Mm -hmm. And then, 
you know, so people are like, there's some people who are like, um, I'm okay. Thanks. You know? right. And it's like, those are always funny moments for people because it's like, we all recognize that awkwardness of the complicated thing of being offered something and not knowing mm -hmm. what to do, you know? And that's something that's, you know, it's, it's just like, I didn't expect it to be about that, but it's like the, obviously the flip side of the romance of the gift is, you know, the complication of the receiving yeah in gift cultures it's a very delicate dance the dance of giving and receiving and there are certainly situations where you do not want to accept a gift even in our culture there's situations where because a gift creates a debt um, yeah in a real gift culture the debt may not be to the person who gave you the gift but it's it creates a debt to the community or to the world and there are certain situations in which you may not want to be in debt to that person. You don't want them to have that power over you. You don't want to owe them something, especially in like um, sexual situations. Even in our culture, we recognize that there is maybe a time to refuse the, you know, roses and chocolates or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I can see in that museum scene, when we live in a society where debt and control domination are so pervasive, we want to retain our independence. And we're very wary about any gift um, because it can set up a relationship we don't want to be in. I mean, this is the thing like, you know, corporations or salespeople sometimes will give you a gift and it's in order to create that obligation. Yeah. So to overcome that and to reverse those habits is kind of a big deal. Yeah. So it's funny. I mean, it's like, you know, some of the film is like these concepts are very abstract. And, but I think those are the very immediate moments that everyone can recognize when someone's giving away a flower on the street, you know, and there's moments when these little kids are trying to give away flowers and the adults are kind of like, uh, no, you keep it. Right. It's like, what do you do when a kid is trying to offer you a rose on the street? Right. You know, and there's people who come to me and say, like, that's so sad that our culture is like, you know, we're so conditioned to that kind of independence and separation that we can't right. accept. But it's like, yes, but the gift is complicated, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, sometimes people might think, oh, that's some kind of scam. Um, yeah. And in some places it is a scam. <laughs> Maybe it's a corporation. Exactly. Right. In disguise. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So is the film, like, how do people see it? Do they organize a showing in their community or can you like stream it online or how does that work? It's not online yet, but it's being released theatrically in the U.S. Um, starting October 11th oh. um, in New York and L.A. And then it's opening in cities all over the country um, through October and November. So, so is this good timing then? Yeah, it's a yeah. really exciting time. Yeah. Uh-huh. So if people want to see it, they can go to a website where they're, where the venues are listed or something. Yeah. I mean, if I'll, I'll give it to you and if we'll, you can we'll, yeah, put it in the, we'll put it in the yeah. description. Yeah. yeah. All right. And, uh, and yeah, there's this new edition of the book coming out at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing some events with Lewis Hyde, like screenings and conversations and mm. other special guests in different cities. And the new edition of the book has this introduction by Margaret Atwood and 
Wow. And it talks about the film. Lewis Hyde talks about the my film in the foreword to the book. So mm-hmm. it's a very beautiful, you know, like this, I think one of the central things in the book is this idea of like how art, a work of art can spark our own gifts, right? And like mm-hmm. wake up something in us. Mm-hmm. And I love that, you know, I think both your your work was an inspiration to me when I was making the film and Lewis Hyde's book kind of like came to both of us and you know, now the film is there and there's this kind of circle of like the book coming back and that's how it's supposed to work, you know? And mm-hmm. I'm sure I've, I've met so many people who've been sparked by your work and that's inspired something in them. And that whole, that's how the yeah. gift keeps the moving. Circle, you know? The circle of the gift. Yeah. Yep. I have to say, I mean, I wrote this to you, but I really like, you're so present in my travels with this film, you know, and like what you've woken up in people and whether you want to call it like a movement or or not, you know, it's like, there's something, there's really a spirit of something out there that you've articulated and brought forward. And mm-hmm. I see it reflected back all the time. And yeah, it's, really it's, it's, um, it really does speak to people. Uh, Lewis Hyde actually says, says it in the book. Uh, there's one quote that it's one of my favorites in the book, something like the gift of the generous man, something, something reminds us of what, of what we've lost. Like it pulls, it pulls on our hearts, it tugs at our hearts because it reminds us of what we've lost. Something like that. Like there's such a deep sadness and yearning to step back into the world of gift. Yeah. Uh, even like the slightest touch can really move people that reminder of what the world once was or what the world could be that an act of great generosity gives us. It is, it's very powerful. It's this feeling. And I get that feeling when I look at amazing art too, or like the costumes you talked about where somebody spent all year sewing all the beads on their Mardi Gras costume or their Carnival costume. They're operating according to a whole different logic. There's no self-interested yeah. reason to do that. Exactly. Like the whole exactly. idea of reason, you know, like yeah. what benefit will it bring me to do that? They're not operating on that logic. It's a completely yeah. other universe that yeah. is, is communicated to us when, when we witness either art or, or generosity. It's kind of the same feeling for me, at least, or those two feelings of being blown away by somebody's incredible dedication to making this fantastic piece of art that took him a year or many yeah. years yeah. and witnessing somebody uh, give away all their money or, or do something incredibly generous, yeah. um, you know, risk their lives to help a stranger, that kind of thing. It's kind of the same feeling. And it's, yeah. and it's, the, it, it, it puts me at this portal to a different world that I recognize deeply as as my true home. And I'm sure that I'm not alone in that feeling. And, and that feeling also then comes with an excitement, like, wow, we could, we could do this. We could live like this. Yeah. And also a sadness at how far away the world that I've known is from that. Yeah, and I mean, how much crazier has the world gotten since <laughs> I met you in 2013? <laughs> yeah getting crazy. Uh, well, is there uh, anything else you want to just throw in there, wild card? Um, um, 
No, I just think, you know, I was thinking about just this like kind of apocalyptic moment that we're in. And when I, I brought my film to California, it was like the big US premiere last year when the fire were burning in California and I went through this whole thing of like you know I'm it's this kind of like such a um, ephemeral idea of the gift you know and it's like I'm doing all this work to try to get people to come out and see the film but it's like the forests are burning and mm -hmm. how can I even ask people that and my friend Michelle Holiday was like you know what could be more important than generosity and community when the apocalypse is happening you know um, like what, what moment could be more important to like step forward with our own gifts and help each other have the courage to tap into those gifts, mm. you know? And she said, like, it's in these times that we need art and beauty the most because they mm. remind us of our humanity. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I just feel like every year feels a bit more like that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I think another thing that, your film can remind us of. It's just a different way of being human in this, we live in such a polarized time that just images of people operating in a different way that isn't polarized, that where, where everybody's brought in, where we're in it together, that feeling so needed, examples of that are so needed. Yeah. Like to communicate, it doesn't have to be like this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like the, you know, the conditioning that we learn from such an early age and the kind of like free market culture that life is about economic growth and making money and spending money, you know, like some of us have been lucky enough to find the alternatives to that. But I think for so many people, they don't even know that there is something else. It's like, it's so strong that it's almost like a religion that we're brought into, you know? Mm -hmm. And someone was saying about the people in my film is like, what touched him is that they seem like free people, like there is something mm -hmm. free about them. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, I never thought about that. But it's like the, the like um, liberation of acting outside that paradigm, mm -hmm. you know? It's like when I was younger, I got really into hitchhiking for a while. And mm -hmm. it was like, wow, it's like the subversive way of going around the rules that like you can only get somewhere if you put money down and mm -hmm. pay for a ticket or pay for a car. It's like there's a way that we can actually just like pick each other up and help each other and meet each other and connect. Mm -hmm. And yeah, wow. It's like just an act of imagination like turns that upside down. Yeah. And the decline and in most places, the demise of hitchhiking is another example of the shrinkage of the, of the wild. The yeah, what happened to that? Unmonetized. Like, did the world actually get more dangerous? Or like, what, why did that stop? I mean, The fewer people who do it, the more dangerous it gets. You know, yeah. It's yeah. a self-fulfilling prophecy. Just as the fewer kids are outside playing, the more dangerous it gets outside because there's not a lot of people looking out for each other. Sure. Yeah, um, it's all part of the of a bigger and very disturbing movement. Um, well, thank you for uh, doing your part to reverse that. Yeah, hitchhiking is such a beautiful, beautiful to pick up a hitchhiker is a beautiful expression of gift. Yeah, and there is a freedom in it, and ironically, it's the same freedom that people are are hungry for when they're seeking huge financial wealth because it's like when i finally have enough money then i'll be free yeah and it's just like 
chasing a rainbow or the metaphor I like to use is the Tower of Babel. You know, if only we build high enough, if I have a big enough pile, then I'll be in heaven. I'll get to heaven. And no matter how high you build the pile, you look up and the sky is still way up there. So yeah. you better build it higher. And, it's, yeah. and then there's a person who isn't building a pile and realizes that he's already walking in the sky because it starts right yeah. where the ground ends. And that freedom... Um, it comes at a price. It comes at the price of a loss of control and certainty. Yeah. But maybe as things get more and more uncertain and out of control anyway, people will be more and more open to the way of life that, that your film speaks to and speaks from. Yeah. Well, it's like exactly we're both in the middle of that work. It's like we have two choices, right? It's like either we're going to get more scared and build more walls and hold on to things tighter, or we're going to need to help each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just like this part of me that's like, come on, guys. You don't really believe this, man. You don't I ran into a guy who, who he told me this story about he had pick a, picked up a hitchhiker one time. And they're talking, the hitchhiker's like, yeah, I'm, I need to get to Illinois, you know, to visit my mother. She's probably on her deathbed. And, and the man told me the story, telling me the story said, you know, it seems like you need this car more than I do. Here. And he like gets out, gives him the key. No way. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine oh. what the world would be if everybody had that degree of freedom that's freedom <laughs> freedom is the freedom to give it away that is yeah. so free to not be attached to it to know that you're so safe in the world that you belong that you're at home here that it's okay to give it all away i'm fine that's freedom not i better hold on to this or i won't be free that's not freedom that's slavery yeah yeah <laughs> I love it. Okay, Robin. Well, this was really great. I'm really happy we uh, got a chance to do this. Thank you so much, Charles, for all your gifts. Yes. Likewise. This has been a new and ancient story with your host, Charles Eisenstein. I offer this podcast in the spirit of the gift, by which I mean that I don't withhold premium content for a price or put up paywalls or do affiliate marketing or have advertising or anything like that. Instead, I rely on supporters like you. If you would like to support it, you can subscribe at charleseisenstein.net for a small monthly amount, or you can subscribe for free as well. Either way, you get the same content, everything's the same, and you'll be notified every time a new podcast comes out. Also on the site, you can find archived episodes along with everything else that I produce, essays, books, videos, online courses. Thank you very much for listening.